Matthew chapter 15. It's good to see everyone this morning. We continue to pray for the Stongard family. And that the Lord would bless and heal. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are already greatly humbled by what we've sung, the hymns and the psalms. And Father, we're even more greatly humbled by the reading of thy word. Lord, so often we are confused with our limited understanding of why you do the things you do. Father, I pray that this morning you would help us to know something of this text that would encourage and strengthen us as, Lord God, this Canaanite woman who persevered in interceding on her daughter's behalf. My Father, I know there are many truths of God that are yet hidden from our eyes and our hearts. I pray, dear God, that this morning you would allow us to at least have some of those crumbs that fall from your table. Lord, many there be in this world that are yet without Christ. Many there be like this daughter who are grievously vexed with the devil and with sin. Lord, help us, we pray, to see what you'd have us to see in how this mother intercedes on her behalf because she could not intercede for herself. God, grant this poor servant much grace, for I am weary, and Lord, I am unworthy. And I pray that the Spirit of God would move amongst us this morning, that we might glorify you and you alone, that you would be highly exalted above all of us. And Lord, as we do that, we pray that you would draw sinners unto yourself. Now may you be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name and for his glory alone we pray. Amen. And amen. 
And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. If Christ had not journeyed to the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, and if the woman's daughter had not been grievously vexed with the devil, would she have even sought out Christ, this Canaanite woman, this Gentile woman? If the woman had not an issue of blood for 12 years, and had spent all her living upon physicians, the Bible says, and could not be healed of any, would she have believed by just touching the hem of Christ's garment as He passed, that He could heal her? If Jairus' daughter of 12 years had not fallen deathly ill, would Jairus have besought Christ on her behalf? Would a certain man seek out Christ if his son was not a lunatic and sore vexed? Would a man full of leprosy have sought out Christ if he were not a leper? Each and every one of these situations, dearly beloved, prove a divine truth which many of us either have forgotten or were very ignorant of, and that is namely God will often use tragedy and sorrow and grief to awaken the conscience of a sinner that he might come to Christ. Man is so engulfed in sin. He's so captured and imprisoned by sin and its darkness that he who would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows would have us grieve and sorrow if it brings us to Christ. I dare say there has not been a saint of God who has not first been broke by Christ before coming to Christ for salvation. When you look through the Gospels, and I did, diligently these past few weeks. Rarely will you find someone come to Christ who is well off in this world. One occasion I can think of was a young rich man who wanted to inherit eternal life and yet he left or walked away from Christ because he had many riches. Yet if you follow the Gospels, you'll find out that none who was doing well in this world, sought out Christ. It took the heavy hand of God to cause tragedy and sorrow for sinful man to seek Him out. There is a gospel today which is not the true gospel that seems to make man the center of its message. Yet the gospel of Jesus Christ is about Christ. About Christ alone. And His being merciful to whom He would be merciful. It's not about man. It's about Christ. Were these merely tragic events of coincidence? 
or of divine providence. Desperate attempts of chance or divinely ordained circumstances. Were these people compelled solely by their immediate sorrow and grief or by an unseen and yet irresistible calling of divine grace? Each one of these people, each one of their heartaches and sorrows were genuine and real. Yet each, by the grace of God, would lead them to Christ. This is the Lord's doing, the psalmist declared, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Because, beloved, not all that are afflicted turn to Christ. For even the words of Satan... In the book of Job, concerning the sufferings of sinful man are in essence true. When he said to God, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Job chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. Without a working of grace, dearly beloved afflictions harden the heart of man towards God. Beloved afflictions and sorrows fall upon all men, for all are under the curse of sin. Where do you think afflictions and sorrow and grief have their origin? It's because of sin. When we look around the world today and see such depravity and such horrendous crimes, what mankind is capable of, it's all because of the curse of sin. Job said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Yet when God himself causes grief, Listen to me closely. When God himself causes grief, it is that he might have compassion, the Bible says. Not according to anything in the afflicted, but Lamentations declares, but according to the multitude of his mercies. You say, why would God cause afflictions and sorrow? Why does God allow such things to happen in the world? I remember, and we're celebrating, not celebrating, but remembering that today of September 11th. I remember I was sitting in McDonald's in Germany speaking to a member of our church when the news came about the towers. The very next Sunday, I preached from Jeremiah with the title, Where Was God? God was where he always is, on the throne. The world blamed God. They didn't blame their own sinfulness and depravity. They blamed God. And the more that 
man is afflicted. Without the grace of God, the more hardened he is towards God. But when God, according to Lamentations, when God causes grief, there's grace in that, that he might show himself merciful, as it is so marvelously revealed in our text. And behold, a woman of Canaan, a Gentile, I don't have time to get into the historical background, but Gentiles and Jews were at odds. They were enemies. And here's a woman of Canaan, a Gentile woman, no less. I don't mean to sound chauvinist, but in them days, women had a lower esteem amongst men. This is a woman, a Gentile woman, who approaches Christ. Well, you think the disciples had such an attitude? Send her away. A Canaanite woman approaches Christ and cries unto Him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But before entering deeper into our text this morning, I believe there lies a very important and divine truth in this grieving mother's petition before Christ that we as a church need to understand and comprehend, especially in the light of passing out or mailing flyers and the upcoming street ministry, Lord willing, in a few weeks. I've often said, too often in our studies of God's Word, we're in a haste to get to the heart of the truth, something big, great, and glorious, and we overlook the small things that lead up to that. This whole context, beloved, before we restart, this whole context is not so much about her daughter as it is the mother who's interceding on her behalf. It's the daughter who is grievously vexed with the devil. Yet it's the mother who seeks mercy. Have mercy upon me. She doesn't say, have mercy upon my daughter. Of course, she implies that. But she says distinctly, have mercy upon me, for my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. The mother seeks mercy because her daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Beloved, nothing can compare to the grief of a mother over her sick and suffering child. There is nothing amongst men more powerful than the love of a mother. And I know I speak that as a man, yet I'm telling you from my own experience of seeing my mother as well as my wife, there's nothing, nothing to compare to the grief of a mother over her sick and suffering child. Her child is so grievously vexed, the mother says, have mercy upon me for my heart is breaking for my child. 
she's not being selfish. She's being compassionate. Her grief over her grievously vexed daughter drove her to do something that a woman in that day and age of that culture would never do. And that is to seek out the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the son of David, and to plead for mercy that he might heal her daughter. Because her daughter could not come of her own. Follow me closely this morning, please. I hope and pray that the Lord would reveal unto us and impart unto us something this morning that I hope and pray would change the way we see not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, but our duty, responsibility, and highest privilege of interceding for the lost who cannot or will not come of their own. Her daughter could not come. So she comes on her behalf to face ridicule and shame that Christ might heal her daughter. Her perseverance in prayer and in faith is amazing. As a matter of fact, Christ himself says, A woman great is thy faith. And yet, she is not an isolated case in Scripture. For we read of a grieving father pleading on behalf of his lunatic and vexed son in Matthew chapter 17. We read of the faith of four unnamed friends who uncovered the roof where Jesus preached that they might lower their palsy sick friend to be healed of Christ. And the Lord looked up and said, and he saw their faith. And healed him. Four unnamed friends. There was such a crowd thronging Christ, they couldn't get into the building. And the four friends says, we've got to get him to Christ. And so they climbed up on the roof, and they tore the roof apart, and lowered him down. And the Lord said, look at their faith. Do we have such compassion for the lost as these few people who would risk ridicule and shame on behalf of others who will not seek it for themselves? I've been wondering for weeks why God has withheld His saving grace. I've never seen such a drought spiritual drought in my 40 years of being a preacher. And believe me, I have spent much time in prayer blaming myself for not being diligent enough in seeking sinners. Have I prayed enough? And oh, I hear the theologians of the doctrines of grace. Oh, you put too much upon yourself. God is the one who must do the saving. God is sovereign. He must do the calling. You take too much upon yourself. But my friend, I fear I do not take too much upon myself because I believe that is part of God's divine purpose and will for His church. That we, in the likeness of Christ, would bear the griefs and sorrows of those who don't grieve and sorrow for themselves. 
if Christ would sweat blood drops for sinners, said Brainerd. May I have the same compassion for them as he did. It is very much, very much part of the Christian life. A certain centurion would implore Christ on behalf of his palsy-stricken servant that he might heal him. Christ said, I'll come. And he said, no, I'm not worthy of you to enter into my house. Just merely say the word. These people could not come to Christ on their own. So others intercede on their behalf. Beloved, this is not a sentimental or emotional attempt to sway anyone to seek Christ's mercy on behalf of others who cannot or will not seek Christ themselves. But I believe it's a divine responsibility. I believe it to be a God-given burden to His church and a privilege of the highest degree. As though God by us did beseech you, be reconciled to Christ. Have you ever thought about those words? As if God Himself through us, we beseech you to be reconciled to Christ. As thou hast sent me into the world, so send I thee. You shall do greater works than I. How could we possibly do greater works than the Son of God when He walked amongst men? We can't walk on water. We can't raise the dead. We can't bring back sight to the blind. What does He mean by that? You'll do greater works by preaching the Gospel that many souls might be redeemed by my sacrifice. That's the greater work. For for one to personally know and experience the grace of God, and listen to me, which is in Christ Jesus, and not to long that others who know not Christ come to the same saving knowledge of Christ, I believe, beloved, is to lack greatly in Christ-likeness. To have, to possess what we have in Christ, to know the wonders of His mercy and His grace, and then to look upon our neighbor who will not or does not or cannot beseech Christ on His own, and to simply be left calloused and unmoved. It's a shame, I believe, to the name of Christianity. Beloved, nowhere in Scripture does the declaring of God's sovereignty and His divine election and calling, nowhere, nowhere in Scripture does the declaring of God's sovereignty and His divine election and calling excuse or exempt the believer from not only preaching the gospel to every creature. Mark chapter 16, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Oh, preach them only to the elect. No, preach to every creature. Preach as though every creature, every creature. But also intervening on sinners' behalf that Christ might be merciful 
Paul said in opening their eyes and turning them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they might receive the forgiveness of sins, Acts chapter 28. Not only do we preach the gospel, but beloved, more importantly, if not more importantly in some manner, not saying it's more important than the power of the gospel, but the gospel needs also intercessory prayer. Look at Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Beginning in verse 1. I wish not to enter into the debates of what Paul meant. I merely want to read the words as they are written in God's Word. Romans chapter 9, verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. Why does he want to make such an important point of this? I'm not lying to you. My conscience, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, what greater testimony would you need to what Paul is fixing to say? That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Why, Paul? For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul had great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart. For he longed to see his kinsmen come to know Christ. The Bible declares that as Christ walked amongst men, one of his names was a man of sorrows. Beloved, we are not very Christ-like if we do not bear the same burden that our Savior did. Why do we look into this world for happiness and pleasure and comfort? This world lieth in wickedness. And God has placed His church here to be a light to set on the hill. To preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. To intercede on the behalf of of those who will not intercede on their own, could not or will not. Pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest. Why? That he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Why? He looked upon the multitudes. We preached a few weeks on this. And he had compassion on them, for they like sheep without a shepherd. So he therefore says, Pray ye therefore. Intercede, therefore, to the Lord of harvest. Intercede. For who? For what? For them. God sent forth labors in your harvest. Why? That he might lead them to the good shepherd. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Question mark. Say ye not? There are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. 
when the Lord was speaking to the woman by the well, and the disciples came. She went to the city and told them what great things Christ had told her. And the city and the people in the city began coming out to the well. Multitudes on the horizon. The Lord looks at his disciples and said, Say, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest, be sold. I say unto you, lift up your eyes. And I'm sure he gestured toward the multitude, the cloud of dust that was coming in the direction from the city, from one woman, from one woman, a harlot woman, who said, let me tell you, I've met the Christ. He said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. For they are white already to harvest. They're ready to harvest. That's in two ways. Harvest for the wheat or harvest for the tares. They're white and ready for the harvest. And he that receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life. What is that fruit unto eternal life? The souls of men. The eternal souls of men. Let me say this, and then that sound worldly, but that's okay. We're in the business of eternal souls. Oh, I understand that it's God who must do the calling and the saving. It's God who must convince the sinner. Yet God has suddenly chosen the means by which he wants to fulfill that calling and election, and that's by us preaching the gospel and interceding on their behalf. If you don't understand that, I fear you know not the gospel yourself. For to possess such a beautiful and wonderful thing as salvation in Christ and not wish to share that with every human being (laughs) means you have no idea what the gospel is. And yet so many sit around thinking themselves theologians and feast on the riches of Christ's graces and mercy while they look upon others with disregard. I cannot fathom that for the life of me. that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Rejoice together. Proverbs said, he that winneth souls is wise. Do you remember the story, excuse me, in 2 Kings chapter 7 of the four leprous men? It was at the time of famine. There was no food in all of Israel. They were starving. These four leprous men came across a great spoil in the deserted camp of the Syrians while all of Israel was starving. After they filled their bellies, they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. Do you remember when the angels proclaimed the birth of Christ? What did they sing? I bring good tidings unto all men. They said, we do not well. 
we're sitting here feasting on this abundance and not far from us is Israel starving to death. We do not will. For we hold our peace. Can we bear to sit in the house of God and feast on the riches of God's grace and mercy and not look beyond the windows into a lost and dying world and say we do not well for we hold our peace. We have an abundance in Christ. Could there be a greater, greater tiding than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Could there be a greater tiding than the gospel? When we go out in three weeks or so into the streets, Lord willing, we should be telling them of the good tidings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Looking upon men as though they were what they are, and that is lost without Christ. Because we do not well if we feast full of its great tidings. My countless men and women are spiritually starving <coughs> and dying without Christ. Oh, preacher, you put too much upon yourself. Do I? What about all these people we mentioned that interceded on the behalf of others who could not intercede on their own behalf? And again, our text is more about the woman, about the mother, than it is the child. Back to Romans chapter 15, or Matthew chapter 15. And though we need the same compassion and perseverance as her, beloved, there's something in our text, again, with the same point that I'm making that we need to understand. It's it requires no little faith. Listen to me. It requires no little faith, but a great and persevering faith in our interceding for others. It requires no <clears throat> little faith. Listen to our text again. <coughs> Excuse me. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. I want to look at that next week in regards to a sinner. I've met so many people over the years who said, but preacher, I prayed, and it's as though God's not answering me. He's not giving me come sign a sign. You're not broken yet. I said that yesterday in prayer meeting, and we'll look at that next week because it's, it's a glorious truth. You're not broken yet. She wasn't broken yet. When she came and worshipped him and said, oh, Lord, help me, she was broken. Then the Lord answered her. But that's for next week. But I want you to see this. But he answered her not a word. You would think that Christ would hear the cries of mercy. Look throughout the Scriptures. Every time somebody cried for mercy, Christ almost immediately answered them. Yet this woman, he didn't. He answered her not a word. And not only that, look at this. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, unto, said I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me.
It requires no little faith to intercede on behalf of sinners. It's hard. It's difficult. You know why? Because they're so lost and blind in sin, it takes a lot of persevering to pray for them. We pray for people all the time and wonder why God doesn't do nothing. Take the Canaanite's woman of perseverance, for example. Do not stop praying. My grandmother, bless her heart, I believe in my heart that she was saved. My grandmother prayed for me for 21 years. I didn't know that until after I was saved. But she said from the day I was born, she prayed for me. And I remember when I was converted at a young age and I went home with my wife. We had no children at the time. And I was anxious to tell my grandmother that her prayers had been answered. I thought she'd do backflips or something. And she didn't do anything. She looked at me very calmly and she said, I knew God would save you. I've been praying for 21 years. There was, there was no backflip, no joy. My grandma was confident that God would answer her prayers. When God doesn't speedily answer us in this regard of interceding for others, our family, our loved ones, sometimes we grow weary and we stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Persevere. Pray even harder. It requires no little faith to intervene on behalf of others. Listen, look at this woman. Christ didn't answer her. Most people would say, good, if you're not going to answer me, I'm going away. And the disciples didn't want nothing to do with her. Most people would have said, that's it, I tried. Christ didn't hear me, I'm walking away from this. She said no. She came to him and worshipped him and saying, Lord, help me. And then he answered her. But he still didn't answer her. But he answered and said, it's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Oh, that's the final straw. I mean, first you don't hear my cries of mercy. Your disciples don't want me. <clears throat> and now you're calling me a dog. That's it. No. And she said, truth, Lord. This is when God causes grief. You see the difference? <laughs> that he might be merciful. This is God causing grief. You remember when God caused grief in your heart before you see your need of Christ? It was a different kind of grief, wasn't it? Man, I remember when I was so under conviction, the grief was different. It wasn't a tormenting grief. It wasn't a grief that, that drove me away. It was a grief that wanted me to know more of Christ. It drew me to Him. It didn't expel me from Him. It drew me to Him. Truth, Lord. I'm a dog. And I'm not worthy of anything. I seek not to feast at your table. I seek only that you let the crumbs that fall from my table come to me. Persevere in interceding prayer, dearly beloved. It requires no little faith to pray and intercede on behalf of others who cannot or will not intercede for themselves. Remember Jacob when he wrestled with the angel? 
said he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept, Hosea 12 says, and made supplication unto him. He had power over the angel. What do you mean power? Was he stronger than the angel, which I believe to be Christ? Was he stronger than him mentally or spiritually? No. What it means is the angel put power, strength in Jacob to persevere in prayer, that he could prevail. This is what God likes. This is what honors and glorifies God. When we come to God in prayer, and he seems to be silent, and we pray more perseveringly. And he continues to fire upon our faith as though he's not listening, and we pray even more intensely. This is what, this is what glorifies God and strengthens our faith. In Christ. Because Christ then gives us the power to persevere. Oh, we get no credit for that. Uh, but God imparts unto us the power to prevail in prayer. Oh, men ought always to pray and never faint. We faint too often when interceding on behalf of others. We grow weary. <coughs> Sometimes it goes long. Sometimes the silence of God discourages us. God's not moving. There's no apparent fruit of my prayers. My loved ones, my family, my children continue to be lost. And it's as though Christ is not hearing my prayers. I say unto you, brothers and sisters, follow the Canaanite woman's example and persevere in prayer. Pray more fervently. It's their eternal souls that are at stake. Oh, well, if God sovereignly decides to save them, they'll get saved. It doesn't matter how you pray. Where do you get that in Scripture? Is it not in Scripture declared that it's divinely ordained that God answers prayer? And is that not how God fulfills his perfect sovereign will? You have not because you ask not. Oh, here's a mystery that confounds man's finite mind who seeks to know everything about God, have an answer for everything. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Listen to that. Why does so many people who believe in the doctrines of grace seem to ignore such simple verses as that? Be it unto thee as thou wilt. Oh, wait a minute. Christ says, as thou wilt. You know why? She persevered in prayer. God knew that from the beginning, of course. We can't change God's mind. We all know that. We can't make God do something He doesn't want to do. We know that. But we also know that God has sovereignly ordained that things be sought in prayer. It's in His good purpose and will. And it will be God's will, according to our text. He said, Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You see, it ends with that. See, the whole thing's not so much about her daughter as it is about the mother. The lesson is, how do we intervene? 
how do we intercede on behalf of others who cannot or will not intercede on their own behalf? This is the example we follow. It's unique. This text. John Knox. Last week I was, I think I prayed, I mentioned it in prayer, and I I mentioned the wrong country. I don't know if you noticed that. And I said Ireland, said Scotland. Even after I prayed, I said, Lord, you know what I'm talking about. But he said, give me Scotland or give me death. Do you think he meant it? Give me Scotland or give me death. During that time, there was a queen called Bloody Mary. I don't know if you know that history or not. I'm sure you do. But Bloody Mary herself said something to this account. Probably not exactly the words, but she said she feared John Knox on his knees more than she did a thousand or hundreds of thousands of troops advancing against her kingdom. One man on his knees. I fear him more. One man on his knees. One man on his knees. We don't pray as we ought. Pray, dear brethren. Sisters, pray. With Brainerd who said, Oh, my dear Savior did sweat blood for poor souls. I long for more compassion toward them. Christ suffered and died. Listen to me and I'll close with this. Christ suffered and died for the souls of men. I believe every Christian in this room understands that. He suffered and died for the souls of men. And women, but I mean generally men. Shall we not like the two Moravian brothers who sold themselves into slavery to preach the gospel? came out of Germany. Hanhut, I think is how you pronounce it. They tried to sell themselves into slavery to go to a certain island because you can only live on an island if you're a slave. Well, they wouldn't let him in. They're white guys. They're white people. They're not blacks. And so they went to one part of England and said, we want to sell ourselves. They laughed at him, scorned him. said, you're white man. We can't sell. So they went to another part until they could sell themselves into slavery, got on the ship so they could go to the island and live a slave's life to preach the gospel. Oh, it's them Armenians again. No, that's not what I'm talking about. And I believe we all know the story. When they are on the ship and departing the dock, they both raised their hands and their fists and cried out to the crowd on the shore, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain Receive the reward of his suffering. Do you want the reward of Christ's suffering is? Listen to me, child of God. Listen to me. It's your eternal soul. It's my eternal soul. It's man's eternal soul. That's the reward of his suffering. And with that, we go out and preach the gospel. Beseeching all men everywhere. Be ye reconciled to God. For he had made Christ to be sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is a glorious tiding which we cannot keep of our own. We do not well, brethren and sisters. 
if we keep this glorious message to ourselves. Let us not sit in our homes and in our rooms and our studies and in church and feast upon the riches of Christ unmoved and unconcerned about those outside the church that yet know not Christ. But yet, let us like this Canaanite woman face ridicule and shame and scorn. But let us intercede on behalf of the souls of men, women, and children with assurance that God, that God shall save, that salvation is of the Lord. He has chosen the means. May we, by God's grace, follow Him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that, Lord, You'd burn with inside of our hearts and our minds the spirit of this Canaanite woman, the spirit of the father, Jarius, and his daughter, the spirit of the four friends who would not let their friend die because of palsy, but would rip the roof apart to lower their friend mm. that Christ might heal them. Lord, I pray, help us, dear God, Grant us the burden of which Christ himself bore as he walked amongst men. The compassion he had as he looked upon the multitude. And the desire and longing he gives us to go out and to preach the gospel to every creature. Lord, we trust and know that salvation is of the Lord. We know that God must do the saving. We know, dear God, it's not in man himself. But Father, we also know that thy word says, how shall they hear unless someone is sent to preach? And how shall they preach if they're not sent? Lord, I pray, help us in the vineyard under which you've called us, in Coleman and surrounding counties. Help us, dear God, to intercede on the behalf of sinners. Pray that, Lord God, you would receive the rewards the sufferings of your Son, which is the eternal salvation of the souls of men, women, and children. May you be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Brother, let us sing a hymn or a